الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له يقول الحق وهو يهدي السبيل وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Today is going to be our second day on the explanation of Kitab Bulugh Al-Maram in Adilat Al-Ahkam written by Hafiz ibn Hajar Al-Asqalani rahimahullah the book that we're doing is Kitab Al-Hajj Naam This hadith, Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said that the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, ayyuma sabiyin, any child, any, any child who performs hajj, thumma balagha al-hintha, and then he reaches the age, meaning he reaches puberty, fa'alayhi an yahujja hajjatan ukhra, this person has to do a what? Another hajj. وَأَيُّمَا عَبْدٍ Any slave. Hajja who does hajj. ثُمَّ أُعْتِقَى And then he's freed after he done hajj. So he already did hajj as a slave, but now he is freed and he's no longer a slave. فَعَلَيْهِ أَنْ يَحُجَّ He has to do hajj, hajjatan ukhra, another hajj again. The previous hajj, he gets rewarded for it, but he is not. But it's not Hajjatul Islam. That one he has to do again. Rawahu ibn Abi Shayba. Ibn Abi Shayba narrated. Wal Bayhaqiyu. Al Imam al Bayhaqi narrated it. Warijalu thiqat. And the men in this train are authentic. Ibn Hajar says. Illa annahu. But the only issue is. Ikhtulifa fi rafihi. There is a dispute. Whether this is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's statement. And there is another opinion that says, no, that this is the statement of who? That this is the statement of Abdullah ibn Abbas. And it's not the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who said this. But the chain is what? But the chain is authentic. That which is authentic and it's sahih is that the hadith is marfu'ah. That it's the statement of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As Ibn Hajar in great detail. Marfu'ah, when I say marfu'ah means it's the statement of the Messenger. Again, I mentioned there was two opinions. There is one group of scholars who are saying that this is the statement of Abdullah ibn Abbas. That it's mawquf. Wala yasihu marfu'ah. Another group of scholars are saying, no, 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 this is Abdullah ibn Abbas attributing it to the Prophet. So it's the statement of the Prophet. And that which seems apparent is um, that it's marfu'ah. Hafiz ibn Hajar, 
Hafiz Ibn Hajar in his kitab Talkhisul Habir he went in great details to discuss this issue if you go to the uh, second volume page 220 he discusses it more this hadith also Ibn Khuzayma narrated it and Imam Al-Tabarani in his Awsat Al-Hakim in his Mustadrak and Bayhaqi in his Sunan all of them narrated from the chain of Muhammad ibn Milhan who said Hadathana Yazid ibn Zari'in who then said I heard it from Shu'bat ibn Hajjaj Abu Bistam al-Ataki who heard it from Al-A'mash Suleyman ibn Mehran who heard it from Abi Dhabyan who heard it from, from Abdullah ibn Abbas the only person in this chain who narrated from Shu'ba Marfu'an is Yazid ibn Zari'in. Every other person who narrated from Shu'ba, none of them narrated it Marfu'an. They all narrated it Mawqufa. That's where the discussion came from. That's where the discussion came from. Lakin, as I said to you, inshallah ta'ala, it's sahih and there's no need to go into that discussion in more details now. This hadith also points out the acceptance of the Hajj of the child. If a child does Hajj, then his Hajj is accepted. Even if he doesn't reach age of puberty, his Hajj is accepted. But it doesn't suffice him, it doesn't um, remove the obligation of Hajjatul Islam. The Hajj of Islam is still upon this child when he reaches age of puberty. And that's the time when we know that the child is actually at what? He's at that age of Mu'akhada, he's punished if he doesn't do something. So that is the age where he needs to come with Hajj, puberty. A question and a discussion here is, what about if he reaches age of puberty in Hajj? He's doing Hajj. He's in the middle of Hajj. And he reaches age of puberty whilst in the state of Hajj. If it is before he does the Ihram, before he actually puts on his Ihram, then there is no dispute amongst the scholars that this is now considered Hajjatul Islam. So if he came from his country and before he wore his Ihram, he reached age of puberty. There is no dispute amongst the scholars and that's not a discussion at hand that that child has reached age of puberty before the, before the, before the ihram, before he can come with the intention. Well, what about after ihram? It's the biggest discussion. He is in a state of ihram. If this is before Arafah, so he's in ihram, he's landed, he passed uh, Miqat, he hasn't, Arafah hasn't come. Arafah has not happened yet. Ajza'at, it will suffice him from Hajjatul Islam. It will suffice him from Hajjatul Islam. From the strongest of the opinions of the scholars. Because the Prophet said in a hadith, which we're going to see, Al-Hajj Arafah. Hajj is Arafah. 
That is what Hajj is. Anyone who doesn't go to Arafah, there's no Hajj for him. Hajj is Arafah. That is what Hajj is. It's Arafah. Without it, there's no Hajj for you at all. So if he reaches age of puberty before Arafah, no problem. What about the night? What about he, he, the night of Muzdalifah? At night in Muzdalifah, he reaches age of puberty, and he still has a chance to go to Arafah. The time of Arafah in which he could stand is still remaining. Even if it's a split second, he catches Arafah. That's also what the Hajj that he doesn't have to ever come with. It suffices him, inshallah ta'ala. Another point that we need to point out from the hadith is the hadith, uh, the hadith shows that the slave, his hajj is also what accepted before he's, before he's freed. He can, he can do hajj, but that it doesn't suffice him from what? Hajjatul Islam, it doesn't. He has to do it again. Now. So this hadith restricts the other hadith, right? Where the woman lifted her child, and what did she say? Ali hajj. Is there's hajj on this one? That hadith, some of the scholars, what do they th- understand from that? They understood from that that it suffices him for hajjatul Islam. Like in this hadith that we took, hadith of Abbas here, it restricts it and shows that the hajj is accepted, that he did, but it doesn't uplift the obligation of hajj from him when he reaches age of puberty. So this hadith is a muqayyad, it's restricting the other general hadith of the woman who asked about her child. Naam. This hadith, Al-Imam Al-Bukhari and Muslim both narrated it. That the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Abdullah ibn Abbasin, he said, I heard the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam give a khutbah. And the Messenger said, لا يخلوان رجل A man should not be alone بمرأةٍ a woman إلا ومعهذو محرمٍ A man should not be alone with a woman by herself, him and her in a room. No one else is in that room. That should not happen. لا يخلوان رجل A man should not be alone بمرأة A woman إلا ومعهذو محرمٍ Unless there is a mahram with them. There has to be a what? There has to be a mahram. A mahram is three things. Anyone who has these three things is a mahram. Are we all together? Three things are what makes a person a mahram. Number one is nasab, from the same lineage, meaning he's like your son, for instance, he's from you. And nasab, your son, your uh, son's son, son's son, son's son, 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 however far he goes. Your son and whatever comes from your son. That's your nasab, that's yours. 
وَالْأَبُّ يَوْفَاذَ وَإِنَ عَلَىٰ Anything that comes from your father. Meaning your father's 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 father. All of those are the woman's mahram. وَالْأَخْ Her brother. Whether it be her full brother or half brother. Whether brother from the mother or No problem. Brother. وَالْعَمْ The uncle. The maternal uncle from your father's side. وَالْخَالْ your uncle from no your uncle from your paternal side and your uncle from your maternal side from your mother and from your father both of them are what they are your mahram wa ibnul akh your brother's son your brother's son wa ibnul ukht your sister's son all of those are nasab all of that falls under which one nasab the woman all of those people she can consider them a mahram and she can be alone with them. The second one is Ar-Rada'ah. Ar-Rada'ah is breastfeeding. That the child, that person is a... You are breastfed together. You are not brothers and sisters, like in the mother breastfed. Are we all together? And the condition for that breastfeeding is, it has to be before two years of age. Because of the ayah wal-walidat yurdu'na awladahunna hawlayni kamilayni. And it has to be how many what? Khamsa rada'at. Five breastfeedings. Different times. It used to be ten and it was abrogated. Five. And those five have to be minal maja'a. From hunger. Meaning the child was filled from those five. Because due to hunger. Any child that is breastfed like that that brother and they become brothers and sisters so a mother fostered a child she met all of those conditions but she already had a son okay she had a son and she breastfed fed this girl this girl is now considered what brothers and sisters from breastfeeding the second third mahram is so that man, boy, he can be a mahram. Without brothers, his brother is a mahram for her. Are we all together? The third one is musahara. Al-musahara. Musahara is the mother of your wife. You're a mahram for her. Your wife's mother. This came because of marriage. You married her daughter. So her, your wife's mother is your mahram. You're a mahram to her. You can take her to Umrah, you can take her to Aj, you can be alone with her, no problem. But pay attention. You can only consider the wife, wife's mother a mahram if you've had intimate relationship with her daughter. A contract, a marriage. Are we all together, brothers? But if you did zina with her, no, 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 no. Or, no, it has to be a dukhul bin nikah. It has to be by nikah. Okay? Even if you divorce that woman and you go separate ways, that woman's mother is your mother. You can never ever marry her or anything. Are we all together? Also, the daughter, am I the son of your. If your wife has a daughter, that's her daughter from another marriage. 
Are we all together? You marry a woman, she has a what? She has a daughter. You married her mother, the daughter becomes a what? Haram from you. She's like your own daughter now. Are we all, this daughter came from another previous marriage. This is also musahara. And opposite is the truth. Wahakada. Those are the three mahrams. Okay? Half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does now. He best both. Ha, they both become siblings. They do. They do. Now that we've understood what a mahram means, we all know what a mahram means, right? And this is alhamdulillah for us, we already generally know these. We know this. The question here is, if you're not any of that which we mentioned, you're not allowed to be alone with a woman in a room. It's haram. The Prophet said in another hadith, hadith Uqbat ibn Amir radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that the Prophet he said, إِيَّاكُمْ وَالدُّخُولَ عَلَى nisa." Do not be alone or do not enter onto a woman. Here it means don't be alone with the women because of how the ulama understood the hadith. Don't be alone with a woman. فَقَالَ رَجُلٌ مِنَ الْأَنصَارِ A man from the people of Ansari and he said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, أَفَرَأَيْتَ الْحَمْوَى What about the husband's brother? You're married, your brother lives with you. So in the morning you leave to work. You go work. And you leave your brother in the house. You leave your brother in the house because you trust your brother. He's your brother. The Prophet said, Alhamu mawtun, he's death. Dangerous. It's not that you don't trust your brother, but it's that you don't trust who? You don't trust shaitan. And he's the, and the reason why the Prophet referred to the brother as al-mawtu is because he is the one that you don't most fear from. Death is generally something people just forget. Even though it's there, it's a problem that's there, it's going to happen, generally people are heedless about it. Are we all together? That brother is the one you trust, you say, no problem, come to my house. And shaitan will use any method to destroy the family, to destroy the relationship between, the relationship between you and your brother. And also to destroy the what? The children that come from this and their lineage and who they are and all of that. Now, No, there's nothing. The adopted child is nothing as long as they don't breast. If they breastfeed the child, then it becomes. So here, pay attention with me. So a lot of issues that fall under this is also stay, going into a lift with a woman alone. It falls under al-khalu, being alone. If there's a woman by herself in the lift, just avoid it and you're by yourself. If there's other people with you in the lift, there's no khalu, you can go in. Another man or another woman Two women are in the lift. You can go in if you want. Are we all together? But you and her to go in by yourselves, stay away from it. Some of you might think this is too harsh. The rules of Allah should be made easy. These things, I'll be very honest with you, the fact that they are not followed and adhered to, 
you can see what happens in people's problems when they come to me and they ask for solutions of their problems. The things that happen and things that people do, all of it came from this concept of people just mixing and opening the doors for each other. He's my brother, he's my cousin, no problem. Speak to my wife. And this freedom. You might be innocent and think, inshallah, khair of everybody. But don't forget shaitan and his role in wanting to destroy things. You have to remember that. Also, the Messenger sallallahu said, وَلَا تُسَافِرُ A woman should not travel except with a mahram. A woman should travel with a mahram. Specifically, the Prophet said that Here, if you look at the hadith that Hafid ibn Hajar chose to bring here, we're talking about Kitab al-Hajj. Are we not talking about Kitab al-Hajj? We're talking about Hajj. Why did he bring it? You'll see, soon it's going to come. Why he brought this hadith specifically to Hajj. وَلَا تُسَافِرُ الْمَرْأَةُ A woman should not travel إِلَّا مَعَذِي مَحْرَمٍ Except with a mahram. The hadith says a woman should not travel. It did not restrict the duration. Is it one day? Two days? Three days? So hold on to this hadith. This hadith says that the woman should not travel. That the woman should not what? She should not travel. Except with a mahram. There is another hadith that says he should not travel three days. There's another hadith. Three days. And there's another hadith that says, Masirata yawmin wa layla. A day and a night. And there's another hadith which says, she should not travel the duration of a day. Not a night, but a day. Another hadith says, two days. Another even narration says, أَكْثَرَ مِنْ ثَلَاثٍ More than three. Are we all together? How do we bring this all together? We have one hadith that's just saying, no, the woman should not travel except without a mahram. But another narration says, three days. Another one says, no, more than three days. Another narration says, two days. Another narration says, one day. Another one is saying, one day and one night. How do we reconcile between all of that, those narrations? Number one, the safest is for the woman never to travel without a mahram. Of course. That is al-ahwat, the safest. We're all together. Because if she takes the three days opinion, then what about the hadith that says two days? And what about the hadith that says one day and one night? And what? So the safest is that she doesn't even travel at all without a mahram. That's one Response Number two is The one who takes the hadith Which says don't travel at all Will have implemented all of the other hadiths In other words He has taken the hadith of one day The hadith of one day and one night The hadith of two days The hadith of three days or The hadith of three days more All of that he has not He hasn't even traveled So all of these hadiths they will be falling under, don't travel at all. So why did the Prophet say all these different numbers? He said it, وسلم, from the angle of the person who he was addressing. He believed their duration was this long. I mean, their traveling was this long. Or that they traveled this long. Are we all together? 
but it wasn't that this is the number. If a person traveled two days, he wouldn't say a believer should not travel for two days and two nights without a mahram, because that's what this person did. The, that's the easiest and the fastest response. And the evidence to show that the traveling without, do, without a mahram, are we all together? Even one half a day is not allowed. Is this hadith that we're reading right now? How? When the messenger said a, a man should not be alone without a woman, a man should not be alone with a woman if he's not a mahram, and a man should not travel. Uh, sorry, a woman should not travel without a mahram. When the Prophet said that, and he was doing a khutbah, the hadith says, The messenger was doing khutbah, right? A man stood up straight away, who felt that he might have fallen under the prohibition. He said, Ya Rasulullah, your messenger of Allah, Inna mara'ati, my wife, kharajat hajjatan. My wife went hajj. Wa inniktu tibtu. And I was written down. I was, I was listed as what? Fi ghazwati kada wa kada. I was listed to be in the battle and the army of that and that. I was registered to be in a battlefield. And my wife is now out and she's doing what? Hajj. And what shall I do, O Messenger of Allah? The Messenger said in Taliq. Leave this issue of fighting and go to your wife. In Taliq, do Hajj with your wife. Here's a powerful point, which is the messenger, when this man said it, this man, all he heard was, A woman should not travel except with a mahram. That's all that my companion heard, right? And he stood up, he said, Ya Rasulullah, my wife, she's gone and doing, she's doing Hajj. And I'm here, and I have to go to battle, so and so. The messenger didn't say to him, hold on. Is your wife's hajj obligatory? Is it the first time she's doing it? He didn't question. He also didn't question the duration of his wife's travel. He didn't say, is she traveling for two days, three days, one day? He said, anything. Are we all together? He straight away, come on, go and do hajj with your wife. There's a qa'idah now that Imam Shafi'i and great other scholars after that took, which is tarkul istifsali. Fi maqam al-ihtimali. Yunazzalu manzilat al-umum fi al-maqali. And Iraqi, uh, sorry, uh, Abdullah ibn Hajj Shankhiyatiyu says in his Maraqi al-Su'ud, the thousand lines in Usul al-Fiqh, wanazzilanna tarkul istifsali manzilat al-umum fi al-maqali. Ama fi al-aqwali. The statement of the messenger in this situation. He never questioned the man. He didn't interrogate him and ask him and say, Okay, look, is this your first wife's first hajj? He didn't say that to him. He didn't ask him, How long has your wife been traveling on the road? And how long will she spend on the road? He never asked him, he never asked him this question. And the fact that the messenger didn't question him means all of those a woman cannot travel without a mahram, even if it's an obligatory hajj. As much as a voluntary hajj, a woman cannot go hajj without a mahram. A hajj which is wajib. Imagine what about traveling for holidays and stuff like that. 
a woman needs a mahram. The Prophet said that. Some of the scholars, they said, yes, a woman is not allowed to travel without a mahram. They accepted that because of this hadith. But they said, they said, Hajj, which is a pillar of Islam, which is obligatory, which Allah commanded us explicitly, Allah clearly commanded us to do what? Hajj, men and women. How do we then reconcile that command, which is clear cut and is strong, with the woman not being traveling, not, not allowed to travel by herself? What about if she has the money? What about if she has everything and the ability to travel to go? The only thing that's missing from her is what? A mahram. We will then add mahram to the. And does it become a condition for the woman? Some scholars said no. She can go. Yes, there are some scholars who said that. From those is Imam Malik. He said that. That she travels with reliable women and she can go with them. Imam Shafi'i said something. Imam Shafi'i said that as well. Ahmed said in a riwayah anhu, a narration from him. A number of the Imam Shafi'i said that. Imam Shafi'i clearly said, She will go with a reliable, free woman. Ibn Sirin said, She would go out with a man. She can go out with reliable Muslim men and women that are with her, no problem. Awza'i said, She will go out. said, She can go out with reliable, honest, and truthful people. And the evidence that they used is Bukhari narrated Mu'allakan. Mu'allak. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu adhina li azwajihi. That Umar radiallahu anhu mentioned that the Prophet. The Messenger وسلم, he permitted for his wives Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the last Hajj in which he did and he sent with them Uthman ibn Affan and Abdul Rahman ibn Awfin. So they said this is our evidence. And the how he narrated an Ibn Hazm with their chain and Nafi' and Ibn Umar that he said Kana yusafiru ma Abdullahi Abdullah ibn Umar when he would go Hajj those who would travel with him were Mualiyatullahu Laysa ma'ahunna mahramun women that had no mahrams all of these are authentically transmitted from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the dispute as I said to you comes from what? this hadith is obligatory this hajj is what? It's wajib. Okay? And the prohibition of the uh, traveling without a mahram. Ala kulli hal. The action of Abdullah ibn Umar is not easy to say, it's not, it's not hard to say that if a sahabi goes against the Prophet or if any imam goes against the Prophet, the Prophet is given what? Bull weight. In the statement that he said here, 
Are we all together? Are we all together? But what about the Prophet's action? The fact that he sent his wives with Uthman ibn Affan and who? Abdurrahman ibn Awfin. The scholars, they said two points. Number one, the wives of the Prophet are Ummahatul Mu'mineen. They're the mothers of the believers. Are we all together? And number two is, this is a khususiyah, was a specific issue that the Messenger sallallahu saw permissible. Um, it was permissible for him, sorry. Something that was specific to him, sallallahu alayhi I'm not taking away from that this issue was a khilafi issue, a difference of opinion. But I'm strengthening one opinion over the, the other opinion. The woman should definitely travel with mahrams. With a mahram For her own safety For her own well-being For her to be taken care of you, We all know hajj and how hard it is Imagine a mother travels by herself And she doesn't have no son to take care of her Or her brother Or a father it's, it's necessary For that As for those who say No problem The mahram is going to put her On the flight from this place And on the other side There's another mahram waiting for her the issue is on the way, on the route. The plane can always divert. It could go to another destination. She might have to spend in another country three or four days. She could spend a night in another country. Are we all together? Because of the flight going in the opposite direction. So the religion here is to protect the women, to protect them, to take care of them. And to not let them become what? Exposed to stress and hardship and harm. It's there to protect them, not to subjugate them. Now. This hadith, the, it talks about the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He heard a man. The man was saying, "Labbeka an shuburuma." The word "labbeka" means, "Oh Allah, I have obeyed you." And so this man was doing Hajj on behalf of shuburuma. Shuburuma. So the messenger didn't know who shuburuma was. He said to the man, "Man shuburuma." Who is shuburuma? The man goes, Akhul Li is my brother. It's one of my brothers. Oh Qaribul Li, or one a close relative. Qala, the messenger said to him, Hajajta anafsika. Did you do hajj from yourself? Did you do hajj first? Did you yourself do hajj? Qala la. The man said no. The messenger said, Hujja anafsika, do hajj for yourself first. And then after that, do for shuburumah. You yourself haven't even done hajj. First of all, do hajj for yourself and then go out and do hajj for shuburumah. Abu Dawood narrated this and Ibn Majah. وصححه ابن حبان. Ibn Hibban authenticated it. والراجح عند أحمد وقفه. And according to Al-Imam Ahmed, this hadith, it's mawquf. Like in, if you go to the Sharh of Bulugh al-Maram written by Amir al-Sal'ani, 
Subul Salam. He mentions another opinion for Imam Ahmad. Mir riwayati Salih. From the riwayah of his son Salih. Pay attention here. This hadith, Hafid ibn Hajar, he said, According to Imam Ahmad, it's mawquf, meaning, again, it's not attributed to the Prophet. That's the view of Imam Ahmad. But if you go to Subul Salam, which is the Sharh of Bulugh al-Maram by Muhammad Amir al-Sanani, Amir al-Sanani, he brings another opinion for Imam Ahmad based on the riwayah of his own son, Salih, who said that his father considered this hadith to be the Prophet statement. Are we all together? And um, Amir Sanani attributed to Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah that ibn Taymiyyah said that Ahmad ibn Hanbal said this. So we have two views for Imam Ahmad. One view that says that it's mawquf and another view of Imam Ahmad that says it's what? It's marfu'ah. It's the statement of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that one seems to be strongest. And the reason why they disputed why it's marfu'ah, why is this attributed to the Prophet, is because a narrator in there, his name is Abdatas, Abdata ibn Sulaiman. Abdata ibn Sulaiman is him, the individual, who they say that he attributed, to, he attributed it to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And some scholars, they said he's the one who did it. But he's not alone in, the, in doing it. That's the problem with some people. They think he's the only one who did it. No, he's not the only one who did it. Two other people made it marfu' as well. Attributed to the Prophet Sallallahu with Abda. And that is Muhammad ibn Bishrin. And also Muhammad ibn Abdullah al-Ansari. So they they agreed with him on the marfu'ah. As for Abdat ibn Sulaiman, Yahya ibn Ma'in said about him, because Abdat ibn Sulaiman narrated this from who? Sa'id ibn Abi Aruba. He narrated this from Sa'id ibn Abi Aruba. And Yahya ibn Ma'in said a very good statement here. He said, Asbatun nasi fi Sa'id ibn Abi Arubata, Abdat ibn Sulaiman. The most reliable person. When it comes to narrating from Sa'id ibn Abi Aruba, is Abdat ibn Sulaiman. Anyways, this hadith, 10 scholars authenticated it. Ibn Khuzayma authenticated it. Ibn Hibban authenticated it. Bayhaqi authenticated it. An Nawawi authenticated it. Ibn Al Mulaqin authenticated it. Ibn Hajar authenticated it. Abdul Haqq al Ishbili authenticated it. Ibn Al Qattan authenticated it. Sheikh Ibn Baz authenticated it. And also Alima Muhammad Riwayah One of his views is that it's authentically attributed to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So that's um, the evidence, or that's the ruling of this hadith. So the hadith is Sahih, inshaAllah. 
insha'Allah ta'ala. It's authentic, insha'Allah ta'ala. This hadith, as we can see, what we take from it is, if a person hasn't done hajj for himself, that he can't do hajj for someone else, and that he should go and do it for what? For himself, first of all. This is the view of the Shafi'iyyah. The Qawlu Shafi'iyyah. Wal-Hanabila, and the view of the Hanabila. And there's an, a specific wording of the, uh, uh, this hadith that came in Sunan Ibn Majah where the Messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Faj'al hadhi an nafsika. Make this one that you're doing right now, that you were trying to do for Shubruma. Make this one for yourself and do Hajj for Shubruma another time. And this is the evidence for an issue that the scholars really discuss, which is a person done Hajj and he done the, he thought to do Hajj for someone else. He came with the intention to do Hajj for someone else. Okay? Whilst he didn't do Hajj for himself. He has never done Hajj for himself. Whether he finished that Hajj or whether he's in the middle of that Hajj, they said it automatically becomes his own Hajj. It automatically becomes what? His own Hajj. Why? Because this man was doing Hajj. And the Messenger said to him, Make this one for yourself. Make this one for yourself. Another view said, No, no, no. He intended to do it for someone else. That intention that he had done for someone else still stands. And this is the call of the Hanafi and the Malikiyah. Because they said, if a person hasn't paid debt that was upon him, he never paid his own debt, but he paid for someone else's debt, huh? that person's debt in which he paid for will be accepted, right? He, he's got debt on him. Ten, ten hundred dirhams he took from someone. And he was going to pay for his ten hundred dirhams that he took from someone, he was going to pay it back on the way he, a brother said to him, Akhi, I've got debt to pay, I'm struggling. And he said, okay, I'll pay your debt. With the, the one that he, that's outstanding for his, can he, this suffice him? They said, yes, of course it can. Like in the other group, they responded and they said, Hajj and the, and the paying of the Dain is different. Why? Paying back debt, you don't even need intention. And the debt will still be accepted. Are we all together? If I took debt from someone and the person calls me and says, Oh, Akhi, by the way, yesterday when you were in my house, you dropped uh, money, a hundred dirhams. And he says to him, Okay, no problem to keep that a hundred dirhams, and that's going to be considered to be what? The loan I gave, the money that I took from you last time. The man already used the money. He never gave it to him to the intention to pay back debt. That is not intention. Are we all together? Even if the person doesn't come with an intention to pay back debt, it will still be uplifted from him. Okay? So that's a difference that the scholars respond to. Come back in salah. Another issue here. 
The other group, they came back again. They said, remember the story that we took, Qistatul Khath'amiyah, the story of the Khath'ami, the woman who asked the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, my father is an old man, he, he cannot stay in a riding beast, and can I do hajj for him? The Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what did he say to her? Hujji anhu, do hajj on his behalf. Did he ask her if she did hajj for herself? Did he? He never. He never asked her whether she done hajj for herself. He went quiet. He just told, told her do hajj. It brings us to the point that we were talking about before, which is tarkul istifsali fi ihtimali fi maqali. Which is the fact that the messenger didn't ask that al that woman, the messenger didn't ask her and say to her, "Have you done hajj for yourself?" It means that whether she did hajj for herself or not, they said that it's permissible for her to do hajj on behalf of someone else. Like in what we say is that that hadith is a mafhum. Mafhum. Mafhum is what? It's that which has been understood from it. And this hadith is a mantuq directly commanding this companion to do hajj for himself. And the scholars, they say that the direct statement of the messenger takes precedence. The mantuq takes precedence over the mafhum. Are we all together? Because here he clearly instructed this companion to do hajj for himself first and then after to do it for the uh, for the uh, for the uh, shubrumah like in the other hadith of qisatul khath'amiyah it's a mafhum it's an understanding a possibility that he didn't sallallahu alayhi wa explain it to her it's an understanding that was taken from it it's an interpretation that's taken out of it we give precedence to the mantuq in this hadith another point that I want to mention inshallah I'm going to conclude with that is um this hadith shows that you can do hajj on behalf of a close relative, a uh, brother, sorry, and even a close relative. It doesn't have to be your blood brother. It doesn't have to be. And it also shows that the person can be alive or the person can be dead. It doesn't matter. It's the same. Whether they are, whether they are alive or whether they are dead. Inshallah ta'ala, we're going to carry on after, after the salah. Uh, and, uh, this hadith hadith of Abbas some scholars they weakened it but the scholars that authenticated it are a lot in number and the scholars that authenticated it are Al-Imamu Al-Hakim Al-Naysaburiyu he authenticated it Al-Imamu Al-Dhahabiyu Rahimahullah he agreed with Hakim in his grading Abdul Haq Al-Ishbiliyu Al-Imamu Al-Nawwi Rahimahullah Ahmad Shakir Al-Albani Rahimahullah Ta'ala Sheikh Muqbil Ibn Hadi Al-Wadi'i and Sheikh Abu Ishaq Al-Hawaini in his kitab Ghawth Al-Makdood they all graded this hadith to be Sahih and Tirmidhi narrated it from two other companions. The first one is Ali ibn Abi Talibin and Anas ibn Malik. So there's 
three companions in total. I'm not 100% sure that Tirmidhi narrated Anas ibn Malik, but if my memory serves me correct, I, I, I think he mentions it there. If it serves me right, I think he, say, he said it there, Tirmidhi. The hadith is, Khatabana Rasulullah, the messenger done a khutbah for us. Faqala, the messenger said, Inna allaha kataba. The word kataba is two types. When you find it in the Quran, Ya yuladina amanu, kutiba alaykum usiyamu. Kitaba shar'iyah. Kitaba shar'iyah, which means this has been prescribed for you in the sharia. It has been made obligatory on the, in the sharia. And that's the one that is referring to here. It's kitab al-shari'ah. Meaning Allah has written in the sharia, Allah has obliged and made it obligatory in the sharia that the people do hajj. And there's another type of kitab which is called kitab qadariyah. Allah universally makes things happen. But that's not what this hadith is talking about Because if, if it was, then everybody would be doing hajj If it was kitab qadariya If it was a universal Then that would mean Allah would make everybody go and do hajj No, that's not what it means here It means that everyone is made obligatory to do hajj So the message said Inna Allah kataba alaykumul Allah made hajj obligatory on you Faqam al-Aqra ibn Habisin A noble companion Al-Aqra ibn Habis, he stood up and he said, Every year, O Messenger of Allah, did we have to do Hajj every year? The Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Law qultuha, If I was to say yes, la wajabat, it would have been obligatory on you. Al Hajj is only once. And anything that goes. Beyond that once is voluntary. How do you reconcile between this and the statement of Allah? And some of you might think that there's no problem here. There could be brought out an ishkal here. But it's easy to respond to it. Someone might say, the messenger said, If I was to say it's obligatory, then it would have been obligatory. But what we know is that the messenger takes the obligation from who? From Allah. So he attributed it to what? Himself. When in reality it's from who? From Allah. The scholars responded to that easily. They said, as we know the Messenger he did sometimes respond with ijtihad. He would say things based on his ijtihad. If this ijtihad was right and there was nothing wrong with it, the Quran and the Sunnah will, uh, sorry, Allah will not correct him and so then it will be a revelation from Allah it goes in line with what Allah wanted are we all together and that's the one the messenger is referring to if I was to say it for myself it would go in line with what Allah wants and it would have been obligatory on you and another type is that the messenger says it from himself and he gets it wrong and he gets corrected either way whether you look at it from him saying it from himself and not being corrected or for him being corrected, both times when it reaches the people, it's a what? It's a revelation from Allah Azza wa Jalla. Are we all together? Does that make sense? 
So this hadith says, If I was to say it, it would have become obligatory on you. Al-hajj marratun. Hajj is once. And anything beyond that is a tatawuh. Here's a question. Why did Hafidh ibn Hajar place a hadith in Sunan Tirmidhi and Abu Dawood and Nasa'i and Ahmed narrated it? Because he said Rawahul Khamsa. The Khamsa he's referring to here is it means the fourth Sunan exclude Tirmidhi. How many are you left with? Abu Dawood and Nasa'i and Ibn Majah and the fifth one is the fifth and the other one is what? Ahmed ibn Hanbal. And Imam Ahmed uh, ibn Hanbal. So it's Abu Dawood, and Nasai, Ibn Majah, Ahmed. Are we all together? So the five that he mentions at the beginning of the book, exclude Tirmidhi, is four. So are we all together? Those are the four that narrated it. Here the question is, these four that narrated it, which is Abu Dawood, Ibn Majah, and Nasai and Ahmed, their book is not as high as Bukhari and Muslim, correct? Bukhari and Muslim is the highest. Why did Ibn Hajar mention the Muslim's version after he mentioned one that some scholars have questioned his authenticity? Because he says after that, وَأَصْلُهُ فِي مُسْلِمٍ مِنْ حَدِيثِ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةِ This was in Sahih Muslim. And it's on the authority of Abu Hurairah. And this one is authentic. No one questioned his authenticity. It made more sense for him to put that one first, right? But why did he put this one first? The scholars, they responded to that is because there's a wording in this version that's not found in the version of Imam Muslim, which gives it more meaning. And that is the wording, فَمَا زَادَ فَهُوَ تَطَوُّعُ And anything more than that, it's voluntary, is not found in the Muslim's version. So he put it there because of a fiqh benefit that he wants to get for you. Are we all together? Also, the hadith, it benefits us the hajj is once in your lifetime. You don't have to do hajj every single year. Once is enough. And every person. And anything after that, you get rewarded for it, you get edged for it, and it's good to do it. Especially if your first time was not very good. It's best to do it again and again and again. If Allah gave you the money, then you should do it every year. Some of the Salaf, they did it 40 years consecutively. 40 years they were doing Hajj. Are we all together? So it's good to do that. And this, the scholars, they say it is مِن تَعَالَى How Allah wants to make things easy for us. وَرَحْمَتِهِ How merciful He is to His slaves. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine we have to do Hajj every year. It would be very hard on us. The money, the traveling, the... Uh, and Allah made it once. So this deen is a what? This religion is easy. It's easy. No one makes it hard on the people. It makes this religion so complicated and so hard to the people that they can't do it. Except that you will find that the person himself will, will overcome him. And a lot, of those, a lot of the time, those people themselves cannot implement the religion anymore. They can't do it. Because they were saying everything, haram this, haram that, haram this. And so later, he's a human. 
he's going to fall short and then he leaves the religion because he can't keep up with the hard rules that is placed around him are we all together so this deen is yusrun simplicity but there's a difference between what the sharia made easy and following your desires and that's a lecture for another time are we all together now we're going to go into the chapter of babul muwaqit the chapter of al muwaqit um, al muwaqit is um, fixed time and fixed places for ihram the miqat sorry muwaqit is jama' it's a plural this is a benefit that you need to write al muwaqit is a plural and the singular is miqat miqat is the singular the miqat is two types the miqat and the muwaqit are two types miqat zamaniyah and a miqat which is makaniyah what does it mean miqat zamaniyah hajj it's on particular months didn't Allah not say Al-Hajju Ashhurun Ma'lumat Al-Hajju Al-Hajju Ashhurun Ma'lumat Hajj is at an appointed time It's at a particular time What month is Hajj on? The first one is Shawwal Shawwal is Ashhurul Hurum Are we all together? Shawwal Dhul Qa'da those two the scholars unanimously agree those two months shawwal and dhul-qa'da all of it is ashr al-hurum all of it like in they differed in dhul-hijjah is all of it or is it only the first 10 days are we all together and the overwhelming majority of the scholars are of the opinion well is that it's only the first 10 Does that make sense? Those are called Ashhurul Hurum. Sorry, those are called Ashhurul Hajj, the, the Hajj months. This is Miqat Zamaniyah, the timing. Are we all together? And this is important that you know this. That when these months enter, it's the month of Hajj. I'm the period of Hajj has started. Are we all together? Because we're going to see later why it's important to know these months that's the first time the second one is makaniya means place the other one was timing and this is miqat makaniya places and we're going to see five five miqats four is going to be mentioned in the first hadith of Ibn Abbas and the other one is going to be mentioned in the hadith to come after that. Hadith Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. Five miqats. Each people, their miqat. Are we all together? What does miqat mean here? It means that it's places located where the person cannot come to, the, to do hajj unless he stops here, or umrah, unless he stops here. And he 
comes with the intention. This hadith, Bukhari and Muslim both narrated it. The hadith says, Waqqata li ahli al-Madina. Waqqata, what does it mean? Ja'ala miqatan. The Messenger, he specified for the people of Medina. The word waqqata comes from the word waqt, a tahdeed, he specified. You can specify something in timing and you can specify something in place. Miqat, that's what it means. So the messenger specified for the people of Medina a place called Dal Hulayfa. That's their miqat. That's the place they go to. Are we all together? And they wear their ihram there, they, came with their, they come with their intention and etc. The Hulayfa today is known as Abiyar Ali. If you go to the Hulayfa today, it's known as Abiyar Ali. Abiyar Ali is what they call it. And the people of Medina, this is where they come from. This is their miqat. And the reason why it's called Abiyar Ali is because there was a, 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 a well, a well over there. Okay? And they say that that well, Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he fought with the jinns. That Ali fought with the jinns. That's all lies, there's no basis for it. There's no authentic sources for that. But it's called Abiyar Ali if you go there. So there's a well there, and they, the reason why they call it Abiyar is because there's a well there, and there's also Ali. They say that fought against the jinns over there, which has no base for it. The five miqats that we're going to talk about, Dal Hulayfa is Ab'adul Mawaqeet, the furthest from Mecca. All the five, the miqat of Medina is the furthest. Dal Hulayfa is the furthest from Mecca. Um, it's actually 11 kilometers from Medina, the Prophet's Masjid, or Medina, because it's not in Medina, it's outside Medina. And it's 420 kilometers from Mecca. From Mecca. So that's. We now know the first miqat. For who? If you're in Medina and you want to go Hajj or you want to go Umrah, the Hulayfa. The second one is Wali Ahli Sham. Ahli Sham, when you hear the word Sham, it's referring to four lands, four countries. Surya, Lebanon, Urdun, which is Jordan, and Palestine, Palestine. Those four countries, they all under, fall under Sham. Are we all together? In English it's called Levant, right? Levant, Sham, those four. For the people of Sham, their miqat is Juhfa. Al Juhfa. So if anybody comes from Palestine or comes from 
Lebanon, Urdun, Jordan, comes from Syria. Their, their miqat is Juhfa. Juhfa. The messenger prescribed. All of these miqat that I'm mentioning, the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa picked those miqats. This was Hajjatul Wada'. Hajjatul, Hajjatul Wada'. The last hajj that the Prophet did, this is when he sallallahu alayhi wa did it. Um, its distance between Mecca and Juhfa is 186 kilometers, approximately. And if you take the, the road that they call Tariq al-Sari' It's fast, you can get there very quick And recently they built over there a masjid You'll find, you find it there Now we know for the people of Sham, Juhfa What about the people of Najd? Najd is Riyadh and anything that lines up with that direction Qasim, Ha'il, all of those lands. It's all what? Najd. Well, like Saudi Arabia is broken into two, right? Najd and Hijaz. Najd is Riyadh and all of this and that. And Hijaz is Mecca and Medina and Ta'if and Judda or Jeddah or Jeddah, however you want to say it. Are we all together? That's Hijaz. And this is. Najd. So the people of Najd, it's for them is Qarnul Manazil. For the people of Najd is Qarnul Manazil. It's what? Qarnul Manazil. And the distance between it and Mecca is 87. Mm-hmm. 87 kilometers taqriban. Yemen and the people of people of Yemen for them is why, why are they called Yemen the reason the scholars they say it's called Yemen is because it's Yemenu it's on the right side Yemen Yemen the right side of Mecca of the Kaaba that's why Yemen is called Yemen it's on the right side of Mecca are you with me and so they are on the side of the black stone we all together. The black stone faces towards Yemen. And the opposite of the Kaaba, the other side of the Kaaba, opposite to the black stone, it faces towards Sham. So that's why it's called Yemen. It's on the right side of the Kaaba. There one is called Yalamlam. There one is the people of Yemen is Yalamlam. The messenger said, For all of those people, that's their miqat. Good. That's for them. The messenger explained it to all to you. What about the people who are inside Mecca? Or they're not in Mecca, but they're also before the miqat. They have to drive backwards to the Miqat, or can they just go forward to Mecca? 
The messenger told us. He said, وَلِمَنْ أَتَى عَلَيْهِنَّ مِنْ غَيْرِهِنَّ Sorry, before that, uh, okay. وَمَنْ كَانَ دُونَ ذَلِكَ فَمِنْ حَيْثُ أَنْشَعَ And anyone who's besides that, then wherever he is is where he starts it from. He doesn't have to go back to the miqat. Are we all together? Ah. وَمَنْ كَانَ دُونَ ذَلِكَ And anyone who's besides the miqat, he's in Jeddah. Are we all together? That's not in Mecca, but it's outside Mecca, but it's also before the miqat. There's no miqat that can get it. Do they have to go backwards? No. وَمَنْ كَانَ دُونَ ذَلِكَ And anyone who is other than that, فَمِنْ حَيْثُ أَنْشَأَ فَمِقَاتُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ أَنْشَأَ His miqat is wherever he starts off from. Even the people of Mecca. A person in Mecca who lives in Mecca, where's his ihram from his household? Are we all together? Okay. The hadith also says, وَلِمَنْ أَتَى عَلَيْهِنَّ مِنْ غَيْرِهِنَّ What about if a person, a person goes to Medina, but he's from Yemen. From Yemen. But he goes to Medina. Does he have to do Ihram from Yalamlam, where he's originally from and where he's or does he do it from the Hulayfa, the Miqat of the people of Medina? The Messenger said, he does it from what? Where he is. He does it from Yemen. Sorry, 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 he does it from Medina. He does it from he's not forced to go back to the Miqat of his original land. And that commonly happens. Some people they travel to Medina, they don't they don't take the Miqat, they actually go to Medina. And when they go to Medina and they land, then they go to the Hulayfa. Then they do Hajj from there. And when they land in Medina, what are they doing? When they go to Medina, they don't wear ihram or anything. Are we all together, brothers? These people, they can do that. Their miqat becomes the miqat of the people of Medina. They can do the miqat of the people of Medina. And they're not told, go back, your miqat is not this, you're originally from what country did you come from, oh, you came from this country, then go back to your miqat. None of that is said to the person. How many miqats did the Prophet ﷺ mention here? These four, the scholars unanimously agree, ijma' that the messenger prescribed these four. The fifth one, which we're going to see soon, there's a dispute. Was it the Messenger who prescribed it? Or was it someone other than the Messenger There's a khilaf. We'll look at that. Inshallah ta'ala, it's the next hadith after this. It's the next hadith uh, after, after this. So what did the hadith show us? That the places where the miqat are four places, a person should not go over those four places. If he wants to go Umrah or Hajj, you don't go over these places. You can't pass through these places. Why? If you do that, then this falls under You're exceeding Allah's boundaries, subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's important. Ibn al-Mundhir, he transmitted an ijma' that if a person does it before the miqat, and I have to speak about this issue because it's very important. Some of us, we come by, well, well all of us do. We all come by plane. Okay? And on the plane, we go over the miqat fast. No plane is going to stop at the miqat and allow you to go in and do your... No, they'll go over. 
two issues arises from this. Number one, the people who are the pilots is not a Muslim. And so in the Sharia's eyes, he's not mahalu thiqa. His words are not strong in our religion. That doesn't mean he's a liar, but it just means it doesn't carry weight. Are we all together? So if he announces that you're going over the Miqat, he's not mahalu thiqa aslan. He's not trusted. That's one. Whether he's truthful or not, and whether he's the most honest person, it's not the point. It's just that in the Sharia, he's not taken. Number two, even if he was a Muslim that was announcing it, or you saw it on the screen in front of your, your seat, on planes, they show you where you are. The miqat is fast. Before you probably get off your chair, boom, everything's done. Are we all together? So you may not be able to what? To get in time to where you're haram. So are you allowed to do it before you leave in the airport? Yes, you can. Are we all together? I would, I would personally push and push that if a person to try to unite the two and try to do both as much as they can is that if they wear their ihram and maybe wear their shoes or their boxes or whatever some clothes which still doesn't and whenever it's announced or whether they, whenever they see it that's when they take their shoes off or they take off the clothes that they are wearing that are not allowed to be done hajj or umrah with and then he does his talbiyah he doesn't get off his chair are we all together? That would be better in the sense where he combines between not doing it before the miqat and also not losing the chance of what? Of, uh, of missing the miqat. And in Imam Ibn al-Mundir, he brought an ijma' that if the person does it before the miqat, his umrah and his hajj is correct. There's nothing wrong with it. And there's many Sahabas who said this, Ali Ibn Talib and many companions. Ibn Hazm, he said, it is not permissible. You cannot do it before the Miqat. It's the view of Ibn Hazm. And it's narrated from Ibn Ishaq, the same thing. Um, another thing that we take from this hadith is, there's a benefit here, which is how the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his mu'jizah, how Allah showed him that all of these lands are going to become a Muslim land. These places are all going to be under the Muslims. Remember, at his time, all of this was not. It were in the hands of the non-Muslims. And he prophesied that these are the places where it's going to be the miqat. This is a prophecy. He prophesies, alayhi salatu wasalam. And that they're going to be, he prophesied, you all know Sham, right? Sham was not open at the time of the messenger. He said, the people of Sham, he knows that they're going to become Muslims. When they take Islam. Are we all together? Here, when he says Sham, what is he talking about? Palestine, Baitul Maqdis. He knows they're going to come into Islam. Lebanon, Urdun, Syria, all of this. They are not Muslims. 
Ahlu Sham, this is their place. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Another benefit that we take from the hadith is anyone who's in Mecca, they do the ihram from Mecca. And he doesn't go to a miqat. The question here is is this for Hajj and Umrah or is it only for Hajj and not Umrah? The scholars they said that this hadith states both, correct? Hajj and Umrah. But there's another evidence that takes Umrah out of the equation. And that is what? When the Messenger وسلم, his wife Aisha, he told her, go, because remember when she came, her menstruation happened to her. And she said, Ya Rasulullah, everybody's going to go out back with Hajj and Umrah, and I'm going to go back with no Hajj and no Umrah. So the Messenger said, okay, Abdurrahman ibn, Abdurrahman ibn Abi Bakr, her brother, he said, take her to the outskirts of Mecca. Take her where? Take her to the outskirts of Mecca. Today that place they call it Tad'ib, right? Or Masjid Aisha. Why do they call it Masjid Aisha? Because of this situation. So she went with her brother Abdurrahman. They stopped there. They came back into Mecca again. And she did Umrah. So why didn't she do her intention of Umrah in Mecca? Why was she told to leave? Why was her brother and her told to leave? That shows that Umrah is not the issue. Okay, Umrah is different. And the hadith of Aisha came after which one? This hadith that we have. Okay? That's important to understand. Naam. This hadith, this one now talks about the fifth miqat that we said that was made. Which one? How many miqats did we say they were? Five. And this is the fifth one. There's a discussion. Who was the first person to do it? Amma, who did the miqat for the people of Iraq? Some of the scholars, they say it was the Prophet wasallam, And some of them said what? It was Umar ibn Khattab. This hadith it says, and Aisha, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she said, that the messenger, he specified for the people of Iraq, that irqin. 
He prescribed, he, he specified for them that iq. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rawahu Abu Dawood, Abu Dawood narrated this. Wal-Nasa'iyu and al-Imamu nasaiyu Here some scholars, they weakened this hadith. They weakened it. I'm going to mention four scholars who weakened it. Al-Imam Shafi'i, he weakened it. And Al-Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, he weakened this hadith. Al-Imam Muslim ibn Hajjaj, he weakened it. And Ibn Khuzayma, he weakened it. They all weakened it. And the reason they weakened it is because a narrator in there whose name is Aflah ibn Humayd, they said Aflah ibn Humayd, he went alone with this hadith. And so Imam Ahmad, he called this hadith Munkar. And an Imam Muslim said, Ruya min tariqi. This hadith is narrated from a chain, Malla yukbalu tafarruduh. A person who, him being alone, is never accepted. They won't be accepted from him. Eleven scholars authenticated it like him. First one is Ibn Ibn Sakan. Ibn Sakan authenticated it. Abdul Haq al Ishbiliyu authenticated it. An Imam al Nawiyu authenticated it. Ibn Kathirin authenticated it. Ibn Taymiyyah authenticated it. Al Imam al Dhahabi authenticated it. Ibn Hajar al Asqalani authenticated it. Zainuddin al Iraqi authenticated it. Muhammad Ali Shawkani authenticated it. Muhammad Amir al Sanani authenticated it. And Muhammad Nasir al Din al Albani authenticated it. Ibn Mundir responded back to Ibn Khuzayma. Ibn Mundir rahimahullahu. He responded back to uh, Ibn Khuzayma. I myself looked at it quickly but didn't reach a conclusion. But my heart leans, leans. For now, to the authentication of the hadith, it leans towards that. And the only reason is because this hadith, as half of the look what he mentioned here. What did he say? He said, This wording, this narration of Abu Dawood and Nasa'i is found in Sahih Muslim. Min hadith Jabirin, the hadith of Jabir, which we're going to see, inshaAllah ta'ala. Illa anna Except that the narrator, he became doubtful of whether it can be attributed to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Are we all together? So he doubted it. And if he doubted it, and we have another narration that's clear-cut, they support each other. Because the qa'idah is, man hujjatun ala man lam yahfad. The one who knows and memorizes is a proof against the one who hasn't. So the narration that attributed to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam takes precedence over the questioned, uh, or the one that the narrator is doubtful regarding it. And the narrator that's doubtful here in the hadith of Jabir in Sahih Muslim is Abu Zubair al-Makki. Is who? Abu Zubair al-Makki. 
as Al-Qadi Iyad mentioned. So it is marfu' insha'Allah ta'ala. And this hadith, what does it show us? That the one who chose for the people of Iraq, the Miqat is who? The Messenger If the hadith is sahih to you, then you would believe that the Prophet is the one who chose the Miqat for the people of Iraq. If you believe that those narrations are weak, then you're going to accept the one to come after, which is Wafil Bukhari, and in Sahih Bukhari is, and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Umar is the one, Umar was the one who appointed, and he was the one who chose the for the people of Iraq when he was questioned. So, how do we reconcile between the narration in Sahih al Bukhari, which clearly says, and it's, it's no weakness in it, everyone agrees, Bukhari saying, and he specifically chose this one, Bukhari, that Umar is the one who did the, the miqat for the people of Iraq uh, for the people of Iraq. How do you reconcile between that one and the other narration that's saying that the messenger did it, alayhi salatu It's easy. That when Umar prescribed it for the people of the people of Iraq, he didn't know it. He didn't know it. And he done it from his own ijtihad. He did it from his own personal independent reasoning. He looked and he observed and he looked at the, dis- the distance and whatever miqat is leveled to it and he specifically chose that uh, irqin. And we will call this, like we've called other issues, muwafaqatu Umar. Umar many times he gave verdicts and he went in the line of the Quran and the Sunnah, did it not? It went in line with the Quran. So we'll say this is min muwafaqatu Umar. As for Sheikh Abdullah ibn Salih al-Fawzani in the Sharh al-Mulhat al-Alam, all of these arguments, he doesn't accept it. And he says that's not a strong argument because he said that for this miqat to be hidden from Umar radiallahu anhu, and it's not a apparent knowledge for everyone, and the people asked Umar, and not one person pointed it out and said, Umar, the messenger already said it. Huh? They said, this is what? is questionable but it's not it can't be لِأَنَّ we know that the memorization of the sunnah in its totality is not present for nobody it isn't على كل حال this is inshallah ta'ala that it came from the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu he mashallah it happened that he's fatwa and the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa what he already said went line in hand in hand with each other نعم. وعند أحمد وأبي داود والترمذي عن ابن عباس أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وقت لأهل المشرق العظيم. هذا حديث sorry I never mentioned that one. وعند أحمد وأبي داود والترمذي عن ابن عباس أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وقت لأهل المشرق العقيق. ذات حديث ابن عباس. That Ahmed narrated in Abu Dawood and Tirmidhi from the, from the chain of Yazid ibn Abi Ziyadin and Muhammad ibn Ali ibn Abdullah ibn Abbas and Jaddihi bihi wa qala Tirmidhi wa hadha hadithun hasan. This hadith is weak for two reasons. Uh, it's weak for two reasons. The first one is in the chain is Yazid ibn Abi Ziyad. And he's a person whose narration is avoided. Yazid ibn Abi Ziyadin, because of him the chain is avoided. 
And the second reason is that Muhammad ibn Ali, who's in the chain as well, it is not known. There's no evidence to show that he heard from Ibn Abbas. And there's no evidence to show that he even met him or saw him. So for those two reasons, it's weak. Shaykh al-Albani brought a third reason, and he said that the hadith is munkar, because Yazid ibn Abi Ziyadin, he opposed others. And a weak person, when he opposes others, his hadith is called what? Munkar. So Sheikh Nasir gave a third reason. Anyways, there are, three, there are two scholars who authenticated this hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas. The first one is Al-Imam Tirmidhi, and Tirmidhi is wrong in that. And the second one is Ahmad Shakir. And Ahmad Shakir, as it's well known by the scholars, is that he had tasahul. He's very lenient when it came to hadiths. There are many people that were weak that he strengthened, like Ibn Lahi'a and Hajjaj ibn Artat that we mentioned yesterday, and Yazid ibn Abi Ziyad, and Abdul Rahman al-Ifriqi and others. Ahmad Shakir, he would just authenticate them. So he had not tasahul in him. Lakin, nine scholars weakened his hadith. Al-Imam al-Nawi weakened his hadith, Al-Imam al-Mundirin weakened the hadith, Al-Bayhaqi weakened it, Ibn al-Qattan weakened it, Ibn Kathir weakened it, Ibn Mulaqin weakened it, Ibn Hajar weakened it, Al-Albani weakened it, Shu'ib al-Arna'ut weakened it. Those Imams, they weakened his hadith, so because it's weak, there is no basis for it. There's no need for us to go over it, it's weak. Naam. This hadith, Bukhari and Muslim both narrated it. This is a hadith which is Sahih. The chapter here is called Babu Wujuhil Ihrami. This chapter it talks about the types of ihram. How many types of ihram are there? Three. We will talk about it. At-tamattu' Al-Qiran and Al-Ifrat. We're going to talk about it, inshallah. The three types of Hajj. We're going to talk about that. You know, we're going to, now we're going to go into... We spoke about the Miqat. We also touched deeply on the issue of Miqat, right? Uh, now we're going to go into the different types of Hajj. You want to go Hajj this year? What type of Hajj shall I do? Which one is the best Hajj? With why? And etc. So there are three types of Hajj. And so we're going to talk about it. And in this chapter, we're going to talk about the Sifa. Wasifatihi, the characteristics and the way to do the Ihram. The way uh, of Ihram. Naam. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she said, خَرَجْنَا مَعَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ We went out with the Prophet عليه الصلاة والسلام عام حجة الوداع Who knows what year the حجة الوداع was? In the Islamic Hijriya calendar? Yeah? When was حجة الوداع? Yeah? نعم, the 10th It was on the 10th year Are we all together? It was on the 10th year سنة العاشرة من الهجرة 
فمنا من أهل بعمرتنا. So the narrator is not going to go into what they did. Faminna from amongst us is man ahalla bi umratin. The word ahalla means raf'u sawt, is when you raise your voice. Um, and the reason why it comes from the word ahalla, it comes from the word hilal. You know, the hilal is the crescent. Generally, when the people see the crescent, they say, Allah, the crescent, the crescent, they raise their voice to tell others. That's where it's taken from. Faminna man ahalla bi umratin. From amongst us, were those who done Umrah Ihram, we done a Umrah What type is that one? That's Naw'ul Awwal Min Anwa'i Nusuk That's the first type of the types of the Nusuk Which is a Tamattu' What does it mean? The person does Tamattu' means the person does Umrah. He goes and he does Umrah. And then when he does Umrah, so he goes to the Miqat and he has the intention to do Umrah. And it's in, it's in what month does he do that Umrah in? Fi Ashhuril Hajj. Any time within that month, those months, sorry, Shawwal, Dhul Qi'dah. Are we all together? Any time he does it within that time is a what? He does Umrah then. After that, he's in Tamattu'. If you go to Mecca at that time and you do Umrah, you have to do Hajj. We're going to talk about that and the discussion regarding that. Of course, if the person hasn't done Hajj before. Whether he does Hajj before and he has to do it, we're going to talk about that as well, inshallah ta'ala. So it means a person comes with Umrah. Is everyone, everyone with me? Because this information is very important. The person comes to the Miqat with Umrah in his mind. He does Umrah. He says in his the Miqat, Labbaika Umrah. That's what he says. Once he finishes Umrah, he takes off his clothes, his Umrah clothes, he shaves his hair, and he does his, what he wants to do. Has relationship with his wife, he cuts his nails, he... Normal. But he's in Mecca. He doesn't leave. Yawmu Tarwiyah. Yawmu Tarwiyah is what? On the 8th. On the 8th, he goes for Hajj. From where like him? From Mecca. He doesn't have to go outside. That's called At-Tamattu'. Are we all together, brothers? Very good. The second one is Aisha saying, "Waminna and from amongst us were those people man ahalla bi hajjatin wa umrah." Everyone's going to Hajj that day. It's the Hajj starting now. So mutarwi, everyone's going to go. Is it wajib? Is it not? We'll talk about that, inshallah ta'ala. But it's the Hajj started. Okay. The second one is. وَمِنَّا مَنْ أَهَلَّ بِحَجَّةٍ وَعُمْرَةٍ Aisha said, and from amongst us were those who did Hajj and Umrah together. This is the second type of Nusuk. Which is what? The person comes to the Miqat with the intention of Hajj and Umrah simultaneously. This is called Qiran. It's called what? Al-Qiran. 
and the person stays in that state even after they finish Umrah and they cannot get out of that state until Yawm Tarwiyah. Are we all together? They stay away from sexual intercourse, they stay away from this. They... Are we all together? Until Hajj. Are we all together? وَمِنَّا from amongst us is مَنْ أَهَلَّ بِحَجِّ And the second one, the third one is some of us who just came for Hajj. وَهُوَ الْإِفْرَادِ This is the third type which is Ifrad. No Umrah, just Hajj. Person comes just to do Hajj. So he comes with the intention of Hajj from the Miqat. And he says لَبَّيْكَ لَبَّيْكَ حَجًّا after that, Aisha said, وَأَهَلَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ What was the last one we just mentioned right now? I want you to all focus on me because we're going to go in a bit technical now. Oh, we were always going technical. Yeah. Please, brothers, pay attention because this, this is the vital information that you need to know. Some of the points that I mentioned of the authentication of the hadith may not necessarily be important to you. But this one's important for you to know. Which was the last one that we just mentioned right now? Al-Ifrad. What was Ifrad? Only? Only Hajj. After that, if you look at the hadith, it says, وَأَهَلَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ بِالْحَجِّ And the Messenger, he did, he did Hajj. So what, is it, what does it come across? What does it seem like from this hadith? That the messenger did the third what type, right? Al-Ifrad. And what is authentic is that the messenger did which Hajj that year. Another view. Al-Qira, another view. Huh? I mean, you can't say Ifrad because I just added the picture. So it's either Qiran or Al-Tamatu. The Prophet did Qiran. The Prophet did Qiran. Are we all together, brothers? That was what the Prophet did. So how do we take this hadith of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, where she said, and evidence to show that the Prophet did Qiran is, the, is, is this hadith, where the messenger said, Atani layla ta'atim. Someone came to me, an angel came to me. Min Rabbi from my Lord. Faqala, he said to me, Salli fi hadha al-wadi al-mubarak. Pray in this blessed valley. Fin Nabi Muhammad. Pray in this blessed valley وَقُلْ and say عُمْرَةً عُمْرَةٌ sorry عُمْرَةٌ فِي حَجَّةٍ عُمْرَةٌ with Hajj which one was Umrah with Hajj? Khiran and this hadith is clear it's crystal clear it's in Sahih al-Bukhari so the messenger did what? one of the good books I read on this it's really little but it's very good it's written by Shaykh who lives here, Shaykh Khalid Ismail, he has a little risala on the issue of the three nusukh. He gave it to me, and I just put it in my library, and subhanAllah, books are always valuable. I just read it last night, properly. I read it before quickly, tasafuh. But he talks about which one is virtuous, which one is better, which one did the Prophet do, and etc. And he reconciles between those hadiths. So the Okay, how do we reconcile between this one and a hadith of Aisha here? It's easy to reconcile. What we say is 
the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, at the beginning, he was doing al-ifrad. The beginning. That was his intention. And then he, then he put after that, the angel came to him and told him, he added what? He added Umrah to it. That's the response which is mentioned by Ibn al-Mundir and Ibn Hazm and Ibn Hajar. Are we all together? And another evidence to show that the Prophet when he came, Okay. So that's the evidence for the Prophet doing Qiran. So how many hajjis do we have? Those three. Which one from those three did the Prophet do? Qiran. Which one is the best one? Put your hand up if you believe the tamattu is the best. Put your hand up if you believe. Al-Qiran is the best. And put your hand up if you believe Al-Ifrad is the best. No one. No one one chose that one. Okay, question. Put your hands up the ones who said Tamattu'ah. Ha. The the Tamattu'ah brothers, listen to this question. Are you guys saying Allah prescribed for the Prophet sallallahu something which is less virtuous? That Nabiullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did that which is less in virtue? We want a response from you brothers. Because ayah says, أَتَسْتَبِدِنُونَ الَّذِي هُوَ أَدْنَى بِالَّذِي هُوَ خَيْرٌ Something which is high. The Prophet took a lesser. While you guys are thinking about that question, the Tamattu brothers, let me go to the Qiran brothers. The Qiran brothers, where would you take the hadith of the Prophet where he said, If I could go back in time, Qiran brothers, are you listening? The Messenger said to the Qiran, sorry, he said, if I could go back on my affairs, I would not have taken another opinion. I would have done tamattu'. Nabi Muhammad said, I would have done tamattu'. Those two ishkal need to be responded to. Hayah. Mm-hmm. 
The Prophet Allah was to show that the Quran is allowed. The question that's on the tamattu is did the messenger do that which is less virtuous? Tamattu. Did the Prophet regret a good action that he was doing? The reward will be the same. Okay. So both of them are, are virtuous. None of them. No. Uh huh. Uh. Okay. Okay. Muhammad. Good. If he was to know, okay. So he didn't know that Tamatra was permissible before. That the ruling of Tamatra maybe came later. Uh, yeah. Any other answers that anyone else wants to put in? Mm. Homework for tomorrow, inshallah. I will ask, I want people to go in, research it, look at it, and let's bring it to the table, inshallah. Because if I give it to you easily now, you will not know why. Easy come, easy go. Huh? It becomes easy. If I just say this one's better, you will remember it when you go Hajj, but you can get helps. Uh, look for it. Ah. So the ruling he found out later, like Muhammad said. Okay. Huh? Say that again. Uh, oh, so there's a sacrifice in the story. Hey, what's the sacrifice? Hey, Fadl. That's why they were doing it. So what does that have to do with the issue of virtue? Hey? Very close, eh? I'm looking for something.
question, another question I have, which brings me to the issue of slaughtering. If the Prophet ﷺ was doing Qiran, were, were all the companions doing Tamattur and the Prophet was the only one doing Qiran, or was others doing, with it, doing it with him? And if so, were they opposing the Prophet ﷺ by doing a hajj that he wasn't doing? Yeah, that's the answer, correct. When I explained the hadith, I didn't translate it. I went over it fast. I specifically chose not to explain that part because I wanted you guys just to hear the meaning of it, not the translation. It's something to do with the slaughter. First of all, what we have to understand is the reason why the Prophet said, I wish that this would be the case was not because Qiran is less than the Tamattu'ah. It was because he felt the companions were heartbroken. He told them to all change their... Because some of them... Because some of them were not carrying any hadi, any animals to slaughter. They were not carrying it. So he said to the ones who were not... They didn't have their hadi, sacrifice, the sacrifice animal. He said to the, all of those, turn it into tamattu now. So if you don't have an animal to slaughter, tamattu is better. If you have an animal to slaughter, qiran is better. And the reason why the Prophet ﷺ wanted to, he regretted it, والسلام, was he saw his companions were heartbroken. And so he said, I wish I could join in with you guys. If I had a chance, I would have done it with you. So you don't feel lonely in doing this act. Are we all together? So tamattu' is good in one angle and qiran is good in the other angle. We'll carry on after the salah, inshallah. Now the author, rahimahullah, he's going to go into the chapter of the etiquette of ihram. Babu al-ihrami wa ma yata'allaku bihi. The etiquette of ihram. What does ihram mean? Al-ihram, it means in the Arabic language, al-dukhul fi tahrim is to enter into the sanctuary, that which has been made haram from you. We all know that um, marriage and sexual intercourse with your spouse, your partner, is permissible. But this now becomes haram. You are entering that realm of prohibition. We all know wearing particular clothing is allowed. But um, it's not once you go into this state. So at, you're entering into a tahrim, prohibition. You can't wear perfume, which is normal and it's permissible for you. In this situation, no, it's not. That's what it means in the language. Is to enter into something which is haram. Like in the Sharia, it means near to dukhuri fi hajjah fi hajjin or umrah or huma ma'an. Near to dukhuri fi hajjah. It's to enter hajj. Or umrah. Or the in, to enter into umrah. Or both of them. 
So some people think ihram is the clothing. That's what they believe. I'm wearing the clothing, or wearing the clothing. That's not what it is. What it really is is that it's the, in, in, the intention that you make. You can wear the clothing, and it means nothing. It means nothing. The haram is the clothing with the intention. Okay. The person he pro- he proclaims, he utters the nusuk. What type of hajj is going to do? If he's going to do umrah alone, if he's going to do hajj, if he's going to do both of them, he states the type of nusuk he's going to do. Okay, that's what he does. So it's called talafudu bin nusuk. As for at talafudu bin niyyah, speaking about what's in your heart and your intentions, um, by saying, Allahumma inni nawaitu al ihrama, oh Allah, I intended ihram. Bil umrati for umrah. Fayasirha li, make it easy for me. Watakabal minni innaka anta samiul alim. And accept it from me, for verily you are the one who hears and has all knowledge. Uh, that's all an innovation. That's, there's no evidence for that. Or you just say, Labbaika umrah. Khalas. Nothing more, nothing less. Okay? The fuqaha mention that. Naam. عن النبي عمر رضي الله عنهما قال ما أتى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إلا This hadith, Bukhari narrated it. This hadith, it says that the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم used to start the talbiyah. Because ما أهل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم the word أهل means what? It's to proclaim, it's to say. The Messenger would do his talbiyah from the mosque. That's what the hadith says. إِلَّا مِنْ عِنْدِ الْمَسْجِدِ so some may come and say, I, I, I thought the people of Medina, their miqat was Dil Hulayfa. I thought the people of Medina, they had to do it from Dil Hulayfa. How is the Prophet doing his ihram? And how is he doing his umrah from the masjid? You all know the famous story where a man came to Imam Malik, Imam Udali Hijra. And the man said to Imam Malik, I want to do ihram from the Prophet's masjid. And then Imam Malik said to him, La taf'al, don't do that. Akhsha alayka al fitna. I fear fitna for you. And the man then he said, What fitna do you, are you scared for me for? A couple of steps and a little distance, a little kilometers. I'm just increasing. Was, I'm actually making it harder on myself by doing it from the masjid. And Imam Malik said to him, The fitna that I fear for you is that you believe that you're going to get closer to Allah, something that the, the Prophet didn't do. That you believe there is a path to get closer to Allah that Nabi Muhammad didn't take. And then Imam Malik read the ayah, So pay attention to this. Imam Malik was against this man doing what? His ihram and from the masjid. But here the hadith says, Ma ahalla Rasulullah. 
the messenger did not do his, his talbiyah and his ihlal illa min indi al-masjidi from the masjid. The scholars, they prove that this masjid that's been referred to here is what? It's actually in Dil Hulayfa. It's a masjid in Dil Hulayfa. Here's the question I want you to all understand. Dil Hulayfa didn't have a masjid. So how do we, how do we say that the masjid of Dil Hulayfa, there was no masjid at the time of the Prophet in Dil Hulayfa. Am I making sense? There was no masjid. What did I mention to you guys before? I want you guys to ponder. What did I mention before? That two angels, that two angels came to, um, an angel came down to the Prophet sallallahu an angel came down. And he said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi pray in this blessed valley. And what did he say to him after that? Pray, so, so intend Hajj and Umrah together. So what did the Prophet do? Before he done the Hajj and Umrah, what did he do? He, he prayed. So the message that he's referring to is where the Prophet prayed. Are we all together? And the context shows that it's Dil Hulayfa. Because who's the one who narrated this hadith? Abdullah ibn Umar. Abdullah ibn Umar, a group of people, they said to him, As-Salim, the son Muslim narrated in Tariq Musa ibn Uqbah and Salim ibn Abdullah and Samia Abahu. Salim ibn Abdullah heard his father. يقول saying, بيداؤكم هذه الذي تكذبون على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فيها. Baydaa was an open land where the people saying that the Prophet did his ihram from here. He said, You're lying about the Prophet. ما أهل رسول الله the Messenger did not do the hilal. I mean the hilal. Next to this masjid, which is Dal Hulayfa. He means Dal Hulayfa. So Abdullah ibn Umar was talking about Dal Hulayfa, the Miqat of the people of Medina. The Miqat of the people of Medina. Naam. Khalad ibn Sa'ib narrated from his father that the Messenger said, Atani Jibreel, Jibreel came to me. Fa'amarani Jibreel commanded me and Amura Ashabi that I command my companions and Yarfa'u Aswatam that they raise their voices. Bil Ihlali that they raise their voices in the Talbiyah, uh, that they raise their voice. Rahul Khamsa, the five narrated it. What is the Khamsa? Abu Dawood, Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, Nasai, and Ahmed ibn Hanbal. The four Sunan and Ahmed ibn Hanbal. They, those five narrated it. Wasahahu Tirmidhi, Tirmidhi authenticated this. Wabnu Hibban and Ibn Hibban authenticated this. There are 11 scholars that authenticated this. Tirmidhi is one. The second one is Ibn Khuzayma, the teacher of Ibn Hibban. And also Ibn Hibban himself, the student. 
That's three. For Al-Hakim, and Imam Hakim and Nisaburi authenticated it. Al-Dhahabi authenticated it, and Imam Al-Dhahabi. And Al-Bayhaqi also authenticated it. Abdul Haq Al-Ishbili authenticated it. And Imam Al-Nawi authenticated it. And Imam Al-Albani authenticated it. Al-A'zami authenticated it. Sheikh Shu'ib Al-Arna'ut authenticated it. So it's authentic, this hadith. This hadith shows Dalilu, it's an evidence. That the person raises their voice. They say it loudly. And the overwhelming majority of the scholars are of the opinion that this command, because the Prophet said, An amura ashabi, that I command my companions. Does it show obligation? Does it mean we have to? The scholars are of two opinions. They're of two opinions. The overwhelming majority of scholars, the Jumhur, they believe it's recommended. It's recommended. So remember, the Prophet commanded. How can they turn away from the command? How can they turn away from the command? They need a qarina. They need a textual evidence, something else to move away from what? From the command of the messenger. Because the Prophet said, I was commanded to command my companions. So for them to say this command doesn't show obligation, they would need to bring a sarif. Isarif means another text, another delete, something else that shows that it's recommended. And so what they came with was al-mashaqqa, hardship. They said hardship will come from it if everyone has to keep saying it. The person has to raise his voice. They said this is hardship. And that's not a, it's not a strong delete. Strong delete. The call of the Zahiriya seems strong, which is the person has to raise their voice and to do it even if you do it once at least you follow the command are we all together? you don't have to repeat it all the time it's recommended for you to repeat it all the time but for you to say it once is obligatory wajib because there's no delay to divert it are we all together? question another discussion that came from the scholars is what about the women and the men? Did the women also raise their voice? Or is this specific to the or is this specific to the men? The raising of the voice here. Because the hadith says, they raise their voices. The scholars here they discussed this issue and they said, okay, how should we do it? The first view of scholars they said this is specific to the men. It's unique for the men. And another group of scholars, they said, no. This is am. This is general. It's for everyone. Men and women. Are we all together? And that which seems strongest. knowledge with Allah is that this hadith is general and it can't be taken or it can't be specified to only men. It needs evidence. It needs a delil. And as Sheikh Muhammad Ali Adim in Ethiopia said in the sharah, which is the Sharah Sunnah Tirmidhi, Sunnah Nisa'i. He said they didn't bring any evidence for it. Sheikh Muhammad Ali says that there is no evidence that they provided to say that this is what? To say this is unique for the men. There's no evidence on their side. He said it when he was explaining Sunnah Nisa'i. If I'm not wrong, a long time ago I read his 
Sunan Nasa'i, the 24th volume, he says that. He says it on the what? The book is 44 volumes. The 24th volume, he says it in there. Shaykh Muhammad. Before him, Ibn Hazm said, وَيَرْفَعُ الرَّجُلُ وَالْمَرْعَةِ The man would raise his voice. The woman would raise her voice. بِهَا وَلَا بُدَّ And it's necessary. وَهُوَ فَرْضَ And it's obligatory, وَلَوْ مَرَّةِ Even if it's once. Another delay that shows that that's the hadith, unrestricted men and women, is our mother Aisha. She raised her voice so loud that the men can hear her. We all together. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she raised it until she was heard. Aisha. The hadith is Ibn Abi Shayba narrated it on Abdul Rahman ibn al-Qasim an Abihi qala kharaja mu'awiyata laylatan nafar. Mu'awiyah came out فَسَمِعَ صَوْتَ تَلْبِيَةٍ He heard a sound of talbiyah. فَقَالَ He said, مَنْ هَذَا Who is this? فَقَالُوا They said, Aisha. اِعْتَمَرَتْ مِنَ تَنْعِمِ She came with her brother Abdul Rahman from Tan'im. It's her who you're hearing, making that sound, very loud noise. فَذُكِرَ ذَلِكَ لِعَائِشَ Aisha was informed that Muawiyah asked and it was told to him. And then Aisha said, if Muawiyah was to ask me, who's, who's it, who is this person whose sound I can hear? She said, I would have said to him, it's me, Aisha. I would have informed him, it's me. Meaning she was saying, this is, it's permissible. And that's the qawl which is the strongest. Are we all together? It's the what? It's the strongest. Others who say that there's a fitna here, and the issue of fitna, we know for hajj there are things that are what? That are done. Hajj is the only time when men and women are in one place. Are we all together? Are we all together, brothers? And to, and to take away that the Prophet's statement, when he said to the companions, Take your what? Take your hajj from me. Take your hajj from me. We can't say that it was only the men that he was addressing and not the women. He was talking to men and women. This hadith is talking to the men and the women. To specify the men and say the women are not in there. Sheikh Abdullah ibn Salah al-Fawzan, he tries to say that and he responds by saying, in the salah, if the imam does a mistake, what does the woman do? The women are at tasfiqa. They clap. And the men, what do they do? They talk. At tasbih, the man says, subhanallah. But the women were not told to talk. What were they told to do? Clap to the Imam so that he knows he did a mistake. Are we all together? We will say, ibadah cannot be done qiyas for another ibadah. Nabi Muhammad made the salah something what? That the women are not allowed to speak loud. Are we all together? It's a unique thing for the salah. And the hajj, both of them. He's the messenger who said it here. And he's the messenger who left it unrestricted here. Are we all together? It's important now. Mm. 
yeah, there's many issues that the Prophet ﷺ commanded where it was an obligation, but they only took it away from obligation with another evidence. Are we all together? And the Prophet ﷺ commanded something, that command was left because of another command, um, another, another, another external evidence. Are we all together? Give you an example. Tahiyatul Masjid, for instance. Tahiyatul Masjid, the Prophet said in the hadith, إِذَا دَخَلَ أَحَدُكُمُ الْمَسْجِدَ If one of you enters the masjid, فَلَا يَجْلِسْ حَتَّى يُصَلِّيَ رَكْعَةً He's not allowed to sit down until he prays what? Two rak'ah. So we, this hadith shows us that if you enter the masjid, you're not allowed to sit down unless you pray two rak'ah. Correct? So for me to turn away from this prohibition, I mean, I'm commanded to pray here. Am I not? And I'm told, stay away from sitting down. I can't. Nabi Muhammad commanded me here. I cannot turn away based on any other delil except something else he said. There's another delil that turns it away from obligation. That is not obligatory. Which is what? The messenger said, Khamsa salawat. Five prayers. Allah Allah made it obligatory on the? On the slaves. How many prayers? Huh? Five. Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha, and Fajr. These five are what the Prophet ﷺ made compulsory on the people. This now tells us where was Tahiyatul Masjid in the five? Tahiyatul Masjid is not in the five. So what we say is that we go back to the hadith where the Prophet commanded and we say that that command was what? It was to encourage. It was targhib, istihbab, it's recommended. Are you with me? Like for example, when somebody says to someone, yeah, yeah, go play with your friends. Go play with your friends, the command. See, when a parent allows his child, dad, can I play with my friends? Go, go play with your friends. Go play with your friends, the amar. Does it show obligation? The, the context can explain that to us. Are we all together? That's a mas'ala in usul al-fiqh. Lakin, if the messenger commands something, al-amr al-mutlaq, if the messenger unrestrictedly commands something, a alim or a scholar cannot say, no, it's not obligatory, it's highly recommended. He has to bring evidence. Why? Are we all together? It's important. He can, sallallahu alayhi wa show that his command here is what? For example, Allah Taala command is in the Quran, وَأَنْكِحُ الْأَيَامَ مِنْكُمْ وَالصَّالِحِينَ مِنْ عِبَادِكُمْ وَإِيمَائِكُمْ أَنْكِحُ الْأَيَامَ Marry the women. Does everyone have to get married? Question. Is marriage obligatory? And the ayah says, أَنْكِحُ الْأَيَامَ مِنْكُمْ Command. No, it's not. You have other evidences that show it's not. Are we all together, brothers? You have the evidence of the woman who said to the Prophet ﷺ, my father is forcing me to get married to someone I don't want. And the Prophet ﷺ said to her, you don't have to get married if you don't want to. And she said to the Prophet ﷺ, I will never get married. What's the difference between that woman who said, I'm never going to get married, and the three men that came and visited the Prophet's house, and one of them said, I'm never going to get married. The Prophet consented to one. He allowed that woman who said, I'm never going to get married. But when the man said, I don't want, I'm never going to get married, he didn't let him. And he told him off. What's the difference? Huh? 
صحيح جميل محمد جزاك الله خيرا the woman she wasn't trying to get closer to Allah by not getting married she just didn't want to so the person has a choice to do that لكن the man he was trying to get closer to Allah by never getting married he made it an ibadah an act of worship to not get married and that's not allowed if you don't want to get married for your own personal reason that's fine but if you say I'm not going to get married because Allah loves this and I'm going to do it for Allah's sake it becomes a what? It becomes a bid'ah, it becomes an innovation. The point I'm coming to is the Quran and the Sunnah can command something and it can sometimes be recommendation. It doesn't have to always be obligatory. And the only thing that will determine it being recommended or not is another delil, another text. Okay? Another text. Naam. Ah, so if a person has the ability to get married, has the wealth, has the physical ability, chooses not to get married for his own personal reasons, maybe he wants to pursue a career, maybe he's got a good job, he doesn't want to do it, maybe he just doesn't like the headache that comes with it, etc. It's permissible for him. He's leaving off something good. Sunnah of the Messenger is leaving a recommended thing, but he's not a sinner. He's not sinning for doing that. He's leaving off a good thing. He's losing the chance of having children. And then Nabi Muhammad what did he say? The day of judgment, I'm going to say to all the nations, look at my ummah, look how large and great they are in number. You're going to make the Prophet lose that opportunity. You will, but it is not wajib. It is wajib lacking. If the brother is, his desires is very high, he's committing zina, he's looking around too much. Are we all together? And he has the ability, and he says, I don't want to get married. Now he has to get married. Wajib for you to get married. Because now you're going and you're doing haram. Or haram thoughts are coming to your mind. But a, a brother who doesn't, he's carrying on his life, he doesn't want to, he. That doesn't even come to his mind He can Like Ibn Taymiyyah never got married in his life And Imam Nawi never got married in his life Never Not necessary, no No Not necessary Yeah, it's good to be obedient to all your parents. But sometimes, some situations, generally speaking, it could be because of... Marriage can sometimes cause a break, bigger, greater harm that needs to be taken into consideration. Someone may not get married because he just does not feel he can fulfill that right or he can do, can do what is needed from him. He can commit to taking someone else's life on board. But he has the ability to get married. 
when the old generation, when they were ready to marry you off, they would sit you down, if, especially if it was a woman, mainly from my country. When they want to marry the girl off, they come to her, the father and the mother would sit down and say, dua or a curse. And they will choose the person. They'll say, this brother, you're going to marry, dua or a curse. Is that common in the culture? Not common in the Indian culture. So she, she's in front of her parents and they're like, you have to get married. And also you have to marry this brother. And so, subhanAllah, sometimes they do get married and they spend the rest of their life in stress, hardship. You see? An ongoing problem. Children come from it. You see? Not that I'm saying parents are always thinking bad. No, 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 not at all. SubhanAllah, it's very important to consult your parents when you're going to get married. Because they have the basira, the insight to understand where it's all at. They're looking everything from a very deeper observation without a shadow of a doubt. But it's, it has to come from both sides. It has to. It has to be, come from both sides. You all know, is there anyone better than Abu Bakr in this ummah? Is there anyone better? But when he asked for Fatima, did the Prophet give it to him? When Abu Bakr asked for Fatima, for her hand in marriage, did the Prophet accept it? So not everybody who's good is necessarily good for you. Does that make sense? A person might be good, righteous, noble, but they're not necessarily good for you. Are we all together? The Prophet when Umar asked, he didn't. When Ali asked, he did. Ali's virtue and the compatibility. He found that they were compatible. Are we, are we all together, brothers? So this is, is very important. That's another issue, by, and that's another issue, not hajj. This is, that's called marriage. Yeah? Hajj, yeah. Um, we'll stop there. We'll take questions, inshallah, if you guys have any questions. We'll carry on tomorrow. From here, inshallah ta'ala. On Friday, my plan is we'll carry on tomorrow. We'll talk about very good points tomorrow. What you can and you can't wear. And we're also going to talk about hijama. We're going to talk about shaving your hair. Which one is better? Should I shorten my hair? We'll also talk about um, if I'm doing tamattu' and I'm going to come and there's one week between hajj and umrah, shall I shave or shall I shorten my hair? Which one is better? What shall I do? We'll talk about all of that. Inshallah ta'ala. But what I want to say is I'm going to do tomorrow as much as I can so we can reach uh, the long hadith of Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hadith of Jabir. Hadith of Jabir talks about the sifat, sifatul hajj. The way to do hajj. And what you do when you come to Mecca. From the minute you come to the minute you go. This is the longest hadith and it's a very strong hadith. We're going to do that one for a long time, inshallah ta'ala. Extract so much benefits uh, from it, inshallah ta'ala. So that will be on Friday night. The reason why I'm pushing that to Friday night is because more people want to come and benefit, inshallah ta'ala. So Friday night is that night, inshallah ta'ala. Any questions? Fadbal. Can we have? After earlier than six o'clock, I don't think you can. The permission is six o'clock. 
we have our permission only from six. Ah, due to the permission, it has to start straight away. Any other question? Okay, that's good. Because every question that you guys have will be answered, inshallah, anyways. Subhanakallah, bihamdika, ashadu wa la ilaha illallah, astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayki.